Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Final installment of our shift series. We're talking today about a shift in our direction and how pivotal circumstances sometimes uh, are introduced into our lives. And, and we have to decide what to do with those circumstances, often adverse circumstances in our lives. And that's what we'll be talking about this morning. You've probably heard the question before, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, to an extent, that's the question we're introducing uh, and addressing this morning. Pull out your Bibles and uh, open them up to the book of Acts chapter 16. I hope you brought a Bible along with you. If you didn't and you do have a Bible app on your phone, I want to encourage you to open that up and uh, follow along. We'll also put the passages on the screen for you to read and you can use your crosswalk notes to help you as well. In 2005, a national bestseller hit the business circuits, uh, written by a gentleman named Keith Ferrazzi. And the title of the book was Never Eat Alone. It was an extremely popular book. And it was really about exactly what the title tells us. It was gaining an understanding of the importance of building relationships one one person at a time, building a community of colleagues and, and friends and family members around oneself. And the whole argument of the book and the practical detail behind the book is that we're not intended to go through life alone, not in business, nor in any other part of our life. In the dust jacket, it says this, Farazi's form of connecting to the world around him is based on generosity, helping friends connect with other friends. Farazi distinguishes genuine relationship building from the crude, desperate, glad-handing usually associated with networking. He then distills his system of reaching out to people into practical, proven principles. It's a sign of our time that we need a book to remind us that we're not meant by God, nor were we created by God to, to go through life alone, that we need each other, that even more than that, we need God in our lives, and we need that connection with God, and we need that connection with God to be a strong and firm connection as we're passing through life. And that really has been the intent of this entire series called Shift. We've been asking ourselves, what are the small, little, undramatic, sometimes almost unnoticeable shifts or changes in our life that we can make so that we can have a stronger connection to God and not be left alone in life, not be sitting down at a table, even if there are no other people around us, eating alone. Because we know that we have Jesus with us wherever we go. And we've talked about all kinds of different ways to do that, just connecting with God through Sunday worship and practical teaching. We've talked about the the private disciplines that that we have, connecting with God through Bible study and personal devotions and and all those different ways that we can do it, connecting with God through through others and serving with others. Last week we talked about providential relationships, friends. Friends who are Christ followers. And we learned that when you, when you 
follow a Christ follower by the very nature of doing that alone, you're going to also be following Christ. So these are, these are all ways in which we can do something a little bit different in our lives and connect more strongly with God because our faith is being built up. And, and when we say connect with God, it always leads to us being connected with God's word and in particular the gospel in God's word, the good news of Jesus Christ. Today in this last installment in this series, it's going to be a little bit different. Because today we're talking about something that to a certain extent is out of our control. You, you and I can make a decision on a Sunday morning to go to church or not go to church. We, we can, following the service, say, you know what? I am going to finish the second half of the sermon, as Pastor Jeff taught, that the sermon is only half done when I'm here, and I'm going to go out, and with the Spirit's help, as a Christ follower now, as a dearly loved child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed by him, covered by his righteousness, I can go out and live this stuff. To say thank you to God, to love God. That's in our control. It's in our control to join a growth group or have a a devotion. It is, to a certain extent, in our control what sort of circumstances we put ourselves into. But it's pretty minor in the grand scheme of things. For example, I, I think about the mission trips that Phil just told us about. And I can tell you that if you put yourself in circumstances like that, and you, uh, you go in that direction, you probably will experience a shift in a, in a greater closeness to God because doing mission work and serving in that way will reconnect you with the gospel. And, and it's a great way to do it. And, and it's a set of circumstances, challenging circumstances, as Phil told us in some cases, that will ultimately often draw you closer to God. But that's not always true, is it? In fact, many of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, especially adverse circumstances, are not of our own choosing. In fact, just the opposite. That we wish those circumstances would never have come into our life. And it's kind of interesting, I I find often that it's, it's when we're sincerely trying to do good things out of a, a grateful heart toward God, out of a, a, a heart that is loving in God, loving God in return for his first loving us, that facing adverse circumstances, just the facing of those circumstances can be a greater challenge than any other point in our life because we feel a certain sense of injustice about that. God, aren't I trying to do the right things here? I know that you've loved me. I see that you've gone all the way to the cross for me. I I hear about the power of your resurrection. And Lord, I trust, I believe. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that that gives me that trust and that faith as a a free gift. And, And because you first loved me, Lord, I love you too. And I'm trying hard to do the right things here. And instead of being rewarded for that, it seems like God... I'm being crushed by that. That that life is not going better as a Christ follower, but actually that life 
is, is tougher. And when you experience that, it's kind of interesting to look into the Bible. Because especially if you're new to this, we, we have a lot of people here at Crosswalk that are new to this. Often we come to the Christian faith with the thought that if I become a follower of Jesus, well, he is the son of God and he's powerful. And if he's involved in my life and if I'm walking with him, things have got to get better, right? And we hear preachers turn them on the, on the television set. That tell us, if you just follow Jesus and if you just do the list of things that Jesus gives you, life is going to be better. And then we encounter life as it really is, and it raises real questions. There was a gentleman by the name of Saul. Came from a town in Asia Minor called Tarsus. He was a Pharisee. And this man was utterly opposed to Jesus Christ in, in every way. His, his very inner soul rebelled against the idea that Jesus was the Messiah. He had been taught as a Pharisee that if you wanted to have a closer relationship with God, the only way to get there is by following the rules, listening to the laws of God, knowing them, and then Doing them daily, day after day, being as holy as you can possibly be. In fact, Jesus uses the Pharisees as an example of holiness when he teaches. He says, if, if you truly want to be righteous, your righteousness has to surpass that of the Pharisees. This is the way Paul was raised. He was taught by the greatest teachers of Phariseeism. And when Jesus came into the picture, Paul's gut reaction was... This is false teaching. These people are leading people astray. This is a cult. We need to stamp this out. And he begins to do that. Until one day, as he's on his way to a separate town named Damascus, north of Jerusalem, he is encountered by the resurrected Christ. This is after Jesus has died, and it's after he has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. Jesus meets Saul on that road to, to Damascus and says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul, Saul then, sees him visibly. And this, this is a pivotal circumstance in Saul's life, so much so that it ends up that he changes his name. And he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ and, and a believer, a Christian. And as he goes on to Damascus, the whole purpose of his trip is now changed. He's blinded through this encounter with Christ. And when he comes to Damascus, a man by the name of Ananias heals him. And, and, and from that point on, talk about pivot. You know what pivot means, right? In basketball, when you pivot, there's a change in your direction. The, this conversion experience on the way to Damascus completely changes the direction of Saul's life. He becomes Paul the apostle, the one sent out. That's what apostle means with the gospel. And Paul is passionate about this new purpose in his life, this new mission in his life to share the cross and the empty tomb of Christ and the forgiveness and the salvation that Christ offers as a free gift. And he begins, after a while of learning, to set out on these journeys. I want to put up a slide for you. 
just so you can kind of uh, see what Paul was going through. So down here in this right corner is Jerusalem. It's probably a little bit too blurry for you to see. But then as you go up to the north between that small dot at the bottom and the, the dot at the top, which is Antioch, somewhere in there in the middle is where Damascus uh, would have been a little bit more over to the right. And that's where he experienced his conversion. He ends up moving, Paul does now, the apostle, formerly Saul, to Antioch. And from there he launches out into, that's modern-day Turkey, that landmass north of the Mediterranean Sea. Then it was known as Asia Minor. He, he has a first trip that's that, that series of dots to the right there where it's kind of white. Then he goes on a second trip in which he revisits those churches and then goes up there to the left, you see a town by the name of Troas toward the top. And then you see three towns clustered together in the north of Greece there. Uh, Philippi, Amphipolis, and Thessalonica. It's in that northernmost dot, Philippi, that we find Paul on his second missionary journey. And as we're going to learn from Acts 14, he's out there doing all the right things for all the right reasons. He knows that he has been completely and freely forgiven of his sins by Christ, that God has loved him undeservedly so, and now Paul just wants to say thank you by sharing the gospel message. So what is Paul's reward for doing all the right things for all the right reasons? Let's take a look. Paul arrives in Philippi. That's just all I'm going to tell you about that. And then verse 22, the crowd in Philippi joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. I want you to circle the word attack. Paul's doing the right things for the right reasons. My goodness sake, he's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happens? He comes under attack. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, it goes on. There's even more. He put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. You have any idea what this looked like? Let me show you a couple pictures. Some believe that is the actual cell block where Paul was imprisoned in Philippi. We don't know for sure. But you see, there's not much there. And you can also see that it, you know, there's some rock and cement, but that's all hanging over you, which will come in important in just a moment as we hear what happens. This is what it looks like from the outside. It's a hole in the ground. So don't... Don't picture Maricopa County Jail or, you know, the Arizona State Prison System, big fancy prison. It was a hole in the ground built into rock. And that's where Paul is after he has been beaten, stripped, severely flogged, put in the inner cell and fastened into stocks. That's the reward that Paul receives. Ever been in that situation? Where you just feel like, <laughs> but, but Jesus, I'm, I'm, I, I do believe in you and I'm really trying hard to do what's right. And it seems like my reward 
is not just circumstances, but extremely adverse circumstances. That I'm being attacked. That I'm being beaten up here. That I'm being imprisoned by these circumstances. If you've ever felt that way, that's exactly what happened to Paul. Now, what's interesting is Paul's response to this. Because I think it would be easy for any of us, if it, if it were me, I would probably be sorely tempted to shake my fist at God and go, God, what, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Don't you see that I, from my heart, am really trying to follow you here? And this is my reward? This is what I get out of it? But look at Paul. Two chapters earlier, in Acts 14, they're out and about preaching the gospel. As it says, they preached the gospel in that city, won a large number of of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraged them to remain true to the faith. They're out there doing all the right things. And what does Paul say? I bolded it for you. What's the Apostle Paul's expectation of life? We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Would you say that with me? Let's say it together. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Those of you who are new here, if for some reason you came in here going, man, I can't, I want to really learn about being a Christ follower because that's just going to make my life easier. I'm here to tell you that being a Christ follower does not remove you from adverse circumstances. If anything, you may have greater adverse circumstances. What we can promise is not that your walk from here on out as a believer will be a bed of rose petals or that there will be no more trouble in your life. We can't promise that. What we can promise is that in the midst of all of that, you're going to have a source of strength and courage and peace like none other. And your expectations about life are going to be in the right place because you're going to be basing your life in the truth the way Paul is doing here. Paul does not go out thinking in a sinful world filled with fallen people and himself being a sinner and an imperfect man, which he says many times, he says, I'm the chief of sinners, that he is going to fall into a bed of rose petals. He gets it. We must go through many, notice that word, many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And that, Paul says, is where all of our expectations need to be set right out of the gate. I, as I was studying for this, I was just reminded of another apostle, Peter, And the time when they were trying to sail, he and the other disciples were trying to sail across the Sea of Galilee. And they kept getting pushed backward. Not just adverse circumstances, but adverse circumstances produced by adverse winds blowing against their their boat. And the waves were large and the wind was driving the boat just the opposite direction. And Jesus is not with them. It's just the disciples in the boat. And it gets dark, and it's the middle of the night, and and there's a lot of frustration on the boat. And in the middle of the night, Jesus comes out. And how does Jesus get out there? Just walks 
on the water. And Peter's got to be out there, obviously. He's probably puking over the side of the boat. And uh, I just wanted to put that picture in your head. And, and he looks up, and there's Jesus. And what's the first thought in Peter's mind? If you know impulse of Peter, you know what his reaction is. Dude, can I do that too? Come on. I wanted to jump out of this boat, and can I walk? And Jesus says, come on up. And Peter does. And he's walking toward Jesus, and he's doing beautifully. He's walking on the water just like Jesus is. And then all of a sudden, he pivots. Pivotal circumstances, right? He pivots. Pivots his head. Stops looking at Jesus and starts looking at the wind and the waves. And what happens when Peter starts to look at the wind and the waves? At the troubles? Boom. First up to his knees. Then up to his hips. And he starts to sink. And the very first thought is, I'm going to drown. Until... Jesus, because he he loves Peter so much, it's like he loves you so much, he reaches out his hand to Peter and says, here, Peter, grab hold. And Peter re-pivots his head, sees Jesus again, loses track of the wind and the waves, grabs hold of Jesus' hand, and boom, pops right back up on top of the water again. You see, our Christian walk is not about not going for a little dip in the wind and the waves. It's about having that little dip in the wind and the waves refocus us back on Jesus. And do you know how unnatural that is for us? Because we do have sinful natures. Let's talk about the very real responses I have and you have often when we meet adverse circumstances in life. And I think we can summarize the chief reactions with four words that begin with the letter C. And we can almost imagine Peter doing this. So here's what I want you to write down. I can be doing all the right things and still have painful circumstances in my life. And when that happens, am I one to complain? Like the children of Israel did when they met adverse circumstances. Imagine Peter. Jesus, why did you let me come out here? I was safe on the boat. Now you let me come out here and I'm going to drown. Thanks, dude. I wish, I wish I'd have never come out here. That, you heard that constant refrain from the Israelites. Let's go back to Egypt. Am I one to be consumed? Jesus addresses this again and again. Stop worrying. Stop being anxious about everything. But he knows us as humans. And why does he say that so much? Because he knows when we meet adverse circumstances, we're likely to begin to be consumed with anxiety and worry and sometimes even anger and bitterness. And we feel frustrated. Imagine Peter saying, oh, I I know how this is going to turn out. Even if I somehow find my way back to the boat, the boat will sink. And that's the frame of mind that we sometimes get ourselves in when we're in the middle of adverse circumstances because we're consumed with worry. Then in the midst of that worry, what's the next response? Attempt to control. That's like Peter saying, oh, Jesus, don't worry. I know I'm in up to my waist now, but I'm a great swimmer. I got it all under control. Just put me behind the driver's seat and I'll get us out of this mess. 
because I know what to do. And Jesus doesn't say okay to that. In fact, Peter smartly, wisely doesn't even suggest that in this case. Jesus just says, here I am, dude. Here's my hand. Any attempt to control from our point of view as weak, sinful people, we need to lose that. Scoot over and let Jesus be in the driver's seat. And then the final one is, when we get so stressed and so worried and and, and so tired of trying to control uncontrollable situations, and we've run to the end of the rope of our complaints, we finally cave. I give up. I just can't do it anymore. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm done. And I know there's people in the room today who feel just like that. I know I've felt just like that at times. And and I know that I have responded with all these different kinds of reactions. How different that, that Peter just pivots. Not even his whole body, just turns his head. Oh yeah, there's Jesus in his hand. Let me grab hold. You know what's so interesting about that? Take a look at the Apostle Paul. Remember, beaten, stripped, severely flogged, in the inner cell, in chains. What's he do? What's he do? Does does Paul complain? Become consumed with anxiety? Try to control the situation? Does he cave? I give up? Let's look at Acts 16.25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Do you see what Paul does? It's another C word. Through singing hymns and through through prayer. And that's what this whole series has been about. So you you should probably be able to give me this answer. These... Adverse and pivotal circumstances in Paul's life cause him to pivot and turn to Jesus. Now, Jesus isn't walking right alongside of him like, like Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee. So how does, how does Paul turn to Jesus? Through the same way that you and I can turn to Jesus today, which is what's wonderful about this. He sings hymns so he can be reminded, like hymns and songs do, of God's gracious promises and God's gracious presence. When you you sing here, think of those words, God's promises and his presence, because so much of our songs are, are about those things. And so they're singing in this stinking hole, praising God, connecting to Jesus, And they're praying. You want to know what that looks like today? A couple months ago, we had a a guest from a a sister church in Florida who came and visited us, a young man by the name of Josh. And he had just a compelling story. So we asked him if he would be willing to have us interview him for a video. And he he graciously consented to that and then tells a little bit of his story on the video. And then I'll give you the rest of the story. Pay particular attention to the last frame in this video. 
I grew up in a, um, a family that went to church, but the church we went to, there wasn't, Bible study wasn't a part of it. I kind of clung to this false teaching that I'd heard, this idea that my life was now going to be perfect. And when some really tough times came, um, I just, I didn't know how to handle it. And I ended up kind of wandering away for the faith, from the faith for a long time. Maybe 10 years later, 10 years of wandering, you know, God never gave up on me. Uh, again, I was in a situation where I just felt like God was calling me and saying, you know, you need to come back to church, you know. And I knew I needed to hear something from him. So I walked into a church again for the first time in, in many years, and I heard the gospel message of the prodigal son, the story of the son who received everything, all the riches, and, and then went off and squandered it. And, you know, over those 10 years, I had, you know, um, screwed up a lot and got entangled up in a lot of different sins and was... Um, real reluctant and really didn't know what my place was in the church. And I, I had a pastor who said, you know what, Josh, you've got talents and gifts and God's given them to you and we want you to serve. And I'm like, me? Really? You know, didn't I, don't you remember all the stuff I just told you about? And he says, you know, of course, you know, but I'm a sinner too. We want you serving. And uh, that was the beginning of, uh, of a lot of awesome experiences. While growing in the faith and, and getting more and more opportunities and responsibilities and, and eventually becoming a leader in my church, um, I remember a couple years ago around Easter, um, there were these Facebook posts I kept seeing that said, if you really love Jesus, then you'll, you'll click this or you'll share this. And I was like, man, they've got it so backwards. It's not if I really love Jesus, it's that Jesus really loves me. So I came up with this idea to uh, create a Facebook page that said, you know, that had daily Bible verses that reminded people of how much God loves them. And I found bi um, great images to go with it. And I started pairing them together. And I said, hey, well, why don't I advertise in these countries where nobody knows Jesus? And it took me probably months to get 25 of my friends to sign up. But once I started sharing the message in these places where they don't know Jesus, it exploded. You know, and now there's almost 200,000 people that are every day getting God's word and seeing these works of art. And, and it's just amazing. I'm really looking forward to what God's going to do for me next. And, and that's one of the reasons why I'm here to learn what you guys are doing and what I can take from that too. Isn't that incredible? Josh is a modern day Apostle Paul. And Facebook is his Philippi. And he's reaching over 200,000 people through that Facebook page with just a simple title, so beautiful, he loved us first. And I want to share the rest of the story. I told you to pay particular attention to the last frame in the video because you can see Josh wheeling away in a wheelchair. And those were the pivotal, there were pivotal circumstances that put him in the wheelchair. Well, Josh has not always been in a wheelchair. When he was 18, he was out hiking with a group of his buddies. And they were hiking up a mountain trail. And all of a sudden, alongside of the trail, there was a, a vine hanging down uh, over the edge of a canyon, a, a cliff. And being young men, full of testosterone, they decided that it would be a great idea to swing on that vine out over the edge of the cliff and then come back. And they all did it. And, and Josh felt something, he, he says in this story. He says, I, I, I felt like a premonition that we should stop doing that. And so I, I told all my buddies, let's stop. Let's stop and let's, let's just get on with our hike. So they did. And they went on up and they hiked. And the hike involved going up 
to a, a, a sort of scenic overlook and then coming back down the same trail. And when they reached the place where the vine was, everybody, 18-year-old boy said, hey, let, let's just try another swing or two over the cliff. And Josh said, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll go first. And as he grabbed hold of that vine and, and ran and then jumped out over the cliff, he gathered too much momentum and he lost his grip on that vine and fell 60 feet. At the end of that, he was paralyzed from the waist down. And he's not walked since the age of 18. But Josh will tell you that these very adverse circumstances were key in leading him back to a friend who had introduced him to Jesus. I actually went through a debate in my mind. Should I show this video today during pivotal circumstances or should I have shown it uh, last week during providential relationships? You heard him talk about his pastor. But Josh says that it was it was his own brokenness that led him to ask the questions of his friend about Jesus that ultimately, and it was a long struggle with drugs and alcohol and other things, but, but through all of that, finally, the Holy Spirit guided him back to himself. And now there's Josh sharing Jesus with nations of people that don't know him. That's how this looks. Pivotal circumstances can be life-changing in, the, in, in that when we see them as opportunities rather than something that is intended by God to crush us, then we will recognize in those opportunities a chance for us to connect with God like Paul does here. He could have said, oh, I'm crushed. I give up. Josh could have said, oh, I'm, I, literally, my legs are crushed. I give up. But they didn't. The circumstances led them to turn around and see Jesus and really see Jesus. Pivotal circumstances in my life are opportunities. Do you see that? That they are opportunities for you to connect with God and his promises? And there's, there's more to it even than that. Because that's beautiful to know that... When bad things happen to us, they can actually be something very important in our life to reconnect us with a God who loves us so firmly. But I want you to see what happens next to the Apostle Paul. Suddenly there was, a, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Can you imagine Paul during this? He's got to be looking up. If you remember those big, thick stones that were over him as you looked at that prison cell from the outside, he's got to be looking up and thinking, when is one of those going to fall on me? At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Underline those words. He's this close. This jailer, this is about to become pivotal circumstances for him too. Because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And in, and in these days, in the days of the, uh, the Apostle Paul, you didn't get fired if you were a jailer that lost his prisoners, no matter what the circumstances were, because this was the Roman government. And the Roman government, government was not known for its gentle behavior. You were executed, and not usually in a very kind way, but it took him some time because you were going to be used as an example. So he's going to kill himself and save the government the trouble and save himself the torture. 
because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Do you find something remarkable about that last sentence? If you're in adverse and very painful circumstances, your hand is on the hot plate. What's your reaction? Mine is pull it off. I think if I'm Paul and I'm in jail and there's an earthquake and the doors swing open and the manacles fall off me, my first response is not, hey, I wonder if the jailer's okay. It's crazy. Are you okay? And here's what I want you to write down at the top of page two. Pivotal circumstances frequently come in sets. And this is important. I'll talk about it in just a second. Connecting with God allows me to be ready for the next event in the set. You see, Paul was ready. And because he was ready for the next event in the set, he could act unselfishly rather than selfishly. And I think part of this is Paul just understanding as we see described here. And I'll bet you know this. That typically when painful circumstances come along, you don't get them one at a time. Have you ever noticed that? I've lived in Arizona for a long time since I was a child. And obviously I was away for a long time. And I thought to myself a couple months ago, man, I've lived here for so long. And it's about time I learned how to surf. Just think about it for a second. We live in the land of big surf. So I should learn how to surf. Only I said to myself, I'm not going to go to Big Surf to learn how to surf. I'm going to go with Julian. We're going to go to Hawaii, and I'm going to get lessons on how to surf in Hawaii. And I did that. As we were out there a couple of weeks ago learning how to surf, I, I learned something about the ocean that I had never known before. Did you know that if you're out in the surf, that the waves that the surfers catch come in sets of three and four and five, and then it kind of calms for a little bit, and there's another set of three and four and five. And as I was thinking about listening to this, this litany of stuff that happens to Paul, he's beaten, he's arrested, he's put in the inner cell, there's an earthquake. I'm thinking to myself, it's just like those waves. And that's how it works in our life. And the more we learn to expect, not only that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, but that those hardship events come in sets, the more that we're likely to, to say to ourselves on the very first event in, the, in, the, in these circumstances, these pivotal circumstances, you know, I better get connected to, to Jesus right away. Because guess what? This is only number one. What's going to happen to me when number two and number three and number four, those waves sweep by? And that's what Paul does. And the really cool thing is because he connects to Jesus right away in that gel, singing hymns, praying to God, when the doors fly open, Jesus has him ready to act in love. He's ready for the next thing instead of, A sinful reaction, acting selfishly and booking it out of there. And look at the opportunity that brings. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling. This guy had to be filled with adrenaline. He's like that far away from killing himself. And he he falls before Paul and Silas, shaking. 
He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That is the question we love to hear. Brothers and sisters, that's the question you and I live for. That's, that's why we take invite cards to our friends. It's why, it's why we invest and invite like on that little sheet in your program. Because we're just praying and hoping that through our sharing of, of Christ, one day one of those friends, one of those neighbors, one of those family members is going to go, Okay, I get it, dude. You have a message for, you, for me. What must I do to be saved? And God plops this opportunity down right in front of him. Would that have happened if Paul had actedly, acted unlovingly or selfishly and booked it out of there? No. But there's the question. What must I do to be saved? So here's what I want you to write down. Connecting with God during pivotal circumstances will present me with a huge opportunity to live with purpose. See, that's, that's why you're here. That's why I'm here, to share Jesus and his peace. The good news of our salvation and the forgiveness Jesus gives us. That's why you're still around even though you've been brought to faith and been given eternal life, so that you can share it with others. The gift you received from God you want, to be a reservoir, you want to be a river with that and pass it on down to other, other people. This guy. His worst day becomes his best day. And not just his best day, his entire family's best day. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household And then they, that's Paul and Silas, spoke the word of the Lord to him, the jailer, and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the the influence and the opportunity is just spreading now. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and his all his household were baptized. The sacraments are coming out. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And this guy who was an inch away from killing himself... Now look at him. He was filled with joy because Paul is leading him to pivot to Jesus. Because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Brothers, sisters, you have been redeemed. Paul was redeemed. That's why he's doing what he's in. Because he's connected to God through the blood of Christ. And you know what redeemed means? In the old, it's a word that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. When the, when the early residents of Jerusalem had to have a place to get rid of their garbage and their sewage, they set up this place called Sheol or Gehenna. And it was a dump. Literally a dump. But it was also a sewage plant. All in one. And then... There was vermin all over it and flies and all kinds. And it was in a swamp, so it smelled horrible. And to try to deal with all of this, they would light fires in this Sheol, this Gehenna, in order to try to get rid of some of the vermin and keep the smell down. I guess they felt that smoke smelled better than raw sewage. And imagine that if you lost something... And we're convinced that it had gone to the dump, what it would look like for you going there and trying to find that thing, digging around in all of that, 
and then maybe finally finding it broken and dented and tarnished. And then you pulled that thing up out of that garbage dump and you took it home and you washed it off. You cleaned it up. You carefully tapped out all the dents in it. You polished it so all the tarnish is gone. And you put it to use again, using it for the purpose that it was designed. See, that's redemption. And that's what Jesus did for you and for me. That's what Jesus did for Paul. That's the message that Paul is sharing here with this jailer. He's telling him, this is what Jesus has done for you. And when you understand about redemption, you also understand this. It's not all about me anymore. Because just as I was pulled out of Sheol, other people need to be redeemed and pulled out of that garbage pit, pulled out of the sewage of their life. It's not all about me. A lot of this message today has been about, hey, when you face adverse circumstances, here's why you face them, and here's how it can be a good thing for you. But understand that it's not all about me or you. Connecting with God during pivotal circumstances may also present me with a huge opportunity, like Paul did, to change someone's life forever. You see, it's all about connecting with Jesus. And that's why Paul writes this as we wind down. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned, circle that word, learned, this not natural, What's natural is those four C's on the front page. But Paul learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned, and Paul says this, it's, it's so counterintuitive, we could call it a secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Notice he doesn't say, I've learned the secret of getting out of adverse situations of having no more painful circumstances or pivotal circumstances in my life. I've simply learned how to be content in those circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And what's the secret? What's the secret? Connecting to Jesus Christ. Paul says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Him who gives you strength. Guys, never eat alone. Never try to do life alone. Never go through pivotal circumstances alone. Jesus is reaching out his hand to you. Jesus is no further than a hymn or a prayer away from you. Never suffer alone. And and the real pivot, the real change, the real shift here is is really not, not in anything more dramatic than simply going, if I'm having these circumstances in my life, this is an opportunity. It's not intended to crush me. It's an opportunity to connect me with my Savior, Jesus Christ, like Paul like Peter, like Josh.
Five things. I'm going to put them up one last time. These are the ways that you can connect with the gospel. These are the ways that you, once you've connected with the gospel, will be granted by God the Holy Spirit stronger faith through the gospel. That's how faith is strengthened. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. And since we're connected to God by faith, when your faith is strengthened, your connection to God is strengthened. Practical teaching, private disciplines, personal ministry, providential relationships, and today's pivotal circumstances. I'm going to put this up on our Facebook page, those five things, to help us just remember this is how I can have a great relationship with God through Jesus Christ, his son. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have provided us with ways, practical ways to be connected with you. And you've also shown us today that even when we go through painful circumstances, and maybe, Lord, especially when we go through painful experiences and we're, we're thinking to ourselves, but Lord, I'm trying to do the right things here, that instead of feeling crushed, in, instead of being consumed with worry and anxiety, instead of giving up and caving in, that we would just see these circumstances, Lord, and we need your strength to see it this way. We cannot do it, Lord, not on our own. Help us to see them as opportunities to connect and reconnect with you again and again. Help us to be like Paul, hymn singers and prayers. Help us to be like Peter, willing to reach up and take the hand that is right in front of our face. Help us to be like Josh, who through his very adverse circumstances found a way to be a modern-day apostle for you. Thank you for Jesus, and help us to remember these words and remember them strongly. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And it's in his name, the one who gives us strength, that we pray. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. To wind down this series, I just want to say to this, say this. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And that is true. Like Paul, like Peter, like Josh, see the opportunity. And take the opportunity to connect with Jesus. Because that's exactly why God is giving you those circumstances in the first place. Let me send you home with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. I'll see you out on the patio.